Well, it's great to see you all this morning. Welcome for those of you that are visitors amongst us. We pray that you would find some new friends today. We pray that you would enjoy your time with us and that, that through the, the, the fellowship time we have, the, the gathering, the singing, the looking at God's Word, that we would, we would bless you as a family if you're a visitor amongst us. And, and uh, may you richly know how much God loves you. Kathy sends her love and greetings. Kathy and Grace, my wife and daughter, are in Wellington uh, with her parents, helping them shift out of the family home and onto the next season of their life. So she's in Wellington. I noticed on the news it's going to be gale force winds and dreadful weather, but she'll come home tomorrow. But they're having a good time. It's important. Family's important, eh? Yeah. And uh, in addition to that, when I say family's important, I think one of the things God's taught me over the years is the, the importance of multi-generational family, that we would honor our father and mother, that it would go well for us. So I'm really excited to uh, empower Kathy to be able to do that for her folks. Well, today what I want to do is I want to conclude this teaching series on Kingdom Abundance. Uh, we've been working through it this month. It's a short series. There's just three messages. But today, whilst it's the final message, I trust it's not the end of the journey for you. We're going to see today, it's a major shift required in the people of God for us to begin to see the transformation that He's got for us and for society around us. The mandate of God, the mandate that God gave creation when He gave mankind the authority in the Garden of Eden was to be fruitful and to multiply. God said to Adam and Eve, go forth and govern all that you see. Fill the earth with the reproduction of my creation and steward it well. When Jesus came as the Son of God, he reset our parameters in some way with a new covenant. But the one thing he didn't reset was that mandate. He fact and said, go and make disciples of all nations. Both the original mandate of God and the commission of Jesus Christ both require us to demonstrate God's way of living to society, to bring transformation to the world around us. I believe, and what I'm trying to convey through the series, is that means demonstrating God's goodness, being His message of grace, demonstrating love in a, in a way that you are designed to, that you would impact and influence those around you in order that they would be drawn to experience God's love for themselves. Later in the year, I'm, I'm going to do a series on how we're engaged in purpose. And in that, I'm going to um, talk more about how we're called to infiltrate all areas of society and the calling that we have, whether it's a professional whether it's a, a teacher, whether it's a, um, a builder or a, a student in a school, so many different aspects of life, we're all called to infiltrate society and demonstrate kingdom living to those around us. So we'll do more of that at the end of the year. Now in this series, I really hope that the questions I've been putting before you are challenging you. I do hope that they're leading you back to His Word that you would understand as truth in a way that transforms you from the inside out. I said at the beginning that um, for us to see change on the outside first, there has to be 
change on the inside. Inner transformation will see transformation of your exterior world. And when it comes to money, kingdom abundance, we first have to align our belief structure with God's truth, His word, and then our internal world is aligned with His and we get to see change. So today we're going we're gonna to see a critical piece of this puzzle in the final message. I just want to talk about the last two weeks for those of you that weren't able to be with us. The first week we looked at two widows in the Bible, two different stories, and we saw how God intervened in their world, and in response to their faith, He moved. But it was faithful sacrifice that moved God's heart, and it was faithful obedience that moved God's heart in those two stories. Last week we looked at the parable of the talents in the book of Matthew, and we saw Jesus teaching us that our master, who is Jesus, has an expectation that we'll be committed to the profitable activity on behalf of his kingdom. It's an expectation. It's very clear in the scripture. And the reward comes to those who are faithful, and the reward is stewardship of greater responsibilities. Now, I encourage you, as I always do, grab those messages on the podcast, listen to them again, Um, allow yourself to meditate on what God is saying to you that you might gain or glean more fully the truth that God's got for you in in those messages. You can access them many different ways via the website, the Facebook, via church app. With regards to Kingdom Abundance, this is our key verse for the series, and I just want to highlight it. This is the passage of Scripture that we unpacked in considerable detail last week. And this verse comes from the end of the parable. Matthew 25, verse 29, it says in, in the Bible, To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. We explored that in a lot more detail last week. Today, I want to look at this concept from a completely different perspective, and I want, well, I'm hoping to challenge our thinking in order that we would not slip into error. I find often that the church is in error. People have erroneous, sort of erroneous thinking, wrong thinking when it comes to money. Seems to me, in my observation, and I've traveled the length of this country teaching in churches and communities about money, and it seems to me that there are two extremes of thinking that, that people seem to gravitate towards. Some believe money is a bad thing, and it can mislead us and ruin us, And so they promote poverty and sufficiency as the solution. If we only have enough just so we can get by and we don't need anything else, we just get rid of it, give it away, that way we won't be destroyed by money. I believe that thinking's wrong. The other end of the spectrum is those who listen to the same teaching, are part of the same environment, and they hear the same scriptures, and they believe God wants us to be rich and lavished with abundant Um, things and good gifts from heaven. They uh, typically, in my experience, reject poverty thinking and even laugh at those who go without because they can't understand why people would choose that way of life. They promote God's goodness and focus on building ivory towers. I have a friend who specifically says to me, when I'm successful, I'll be able to bless other people more. He's waiting for that success to come. I believe that thinking is wrong. What I personally believe is that our success in the tasks that Jesus gives us will lead us to greater influence. Higher levels of influence will allow us higher levels of connectivity and therefore 
ability or opportunity to change the world around us. We've got to bring kingdom living to society, and the only way that's going to happen is through influence. And Jesus taught us last week, when we're successful in the tasks he gives us, he will open up opportunities of influence for us. So what we've got to do is we've got to wrestle this tension of kingdom living that we have as disciples of Jesus and find a healthy balance in our thinking in order that we would sail the path well. And I think that tension is found in between those two extremes that I shared earlier. We've got to get a main, maintain a healthy balance, and that's where we're going to find ourselves today. And what I'd like to do today is I'd like to introduce you to Haggai. Haggai is a prophet in the Old Testament. It's in the middle. For those of you that have paper, it's uh, kind of near the end of the Old Testament. It's the second or third. It's the third to last book in the Old Testament. For those of you on a device, I'm sure you can find it quite easily. Haggai was recognized as a prophet, a man of God amongst the people of God. Let me read to you the first six verses of the book of Haggai. On August 29th, on the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture for us to open up with in a message in kingdom abundance. So as we prepare ourselves to unpack this, I think, of, um, Isaac, would you mind praying for us as a family as we open up the Word of God? Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your blessings on this church. And... Um, I'm excited that we've got Pastor Phil, he's a really good communicator, and that's a blessing to us. And thank you, Father, for your word, which reveals your character and the way yeah. you love us and want to connect with us. Amen. And it gives us truth about, uh, about living life on earth, and we're so thankful for that, Lord. Please bless this time today. Amen. Yeah. Amen. 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 Thanks, Isaac. Today's the day of participation, so prepare yourselves for participation. Now on the screen, you'll see the title of my message today, Consider Thy Ways. We find this in verse 5, depending on what kind of translation you're reading. This is the original, uh, literal translation of the Hebrew text. God says to the people of God, consider thy ways. In other translations, he says, set your heart correctly. And what it is, I believe, is a call for us to take a deep and inward contemplative but seriously intentional look at who we are and the way we're living, demonstrated by the choices that we're making. This is what God's calling us to today. And what we're going to see, I hope you see it, is the heart of God as a loving God who has a heart to lead us into kingdom abundance. 
That's what I hope you see today. The book of Haggai is one of the smallest books in the Bible. You'll see it's only two chapters. Haggai is recognized as one of the prophets of the Old Testament, recognized as a man of God who spoke the heart of God, and he brings here a message to people in Jerusalem and then to us today. This is a time in history where the Israelites, the people of God, have been overcome by King Nebuchadnezzar, and they were taken captive, and they were taken back to Babylon as as captives, and King Nebuchadnezzar and his army decimated, they destroyed Jerusalem, tore down its walls, burned the buildings, and they trashed, disassembled the house of God, the temple of God that King Solomon built as a place of worship. So Jerusalem is a pile of stones. At this moment, there are some people, a remnant, a small group of people that have been allowed back into that place, And through God's word, they have begun to reconstruct. But what happened is they built the altar for worship, where the priests would bring the blood and and, and, uh, carry out the Jewish rituals of worship for the people. But they'd stopped at that point. They'd done nothing else, and they sit back. The construction process, rebuilding process has stopped. This is clearly not God's plan. So he brings a message of hope to his people through the prophet Haggai. Now, you've got to say, it's not the most encouraging, uplifting start to a sermon. The book of Haggai is, in fact, four sermons that Haggai declares as utterances from God. And this is his opening. Way to build connection with the people. Way to build rapport and open their ears that they would listen. Verse 4 to 6. Why are you living in luxurious houses, says God, while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you're putting them in pockets or purses filled with holes. And also verses 9 to 11. Just read those. God says, you hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. When you brought your harvest home, I blew it away, says God. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's army, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I, God, have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and the grapes and the olive trees and all your crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Thus says the Lord. Yikes. Kind of got your attention. Does God have your attention? I hope so. Look at the word of God as it speaks to us. I think it's time we considered our ways. Let's, let's look at the description of people's lives mentioned just in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 6. Let's look at this. God says, you, harvest, you planted much and harvested little. There's five things in this verse. One, planted much, harvested little. Two, you eat but are not satisfied. Three, you drink but are not thirsty. 
Four, you put on clothes, but you're never warm. And five, your wages disappear as though you have a hole in your purse. In all my years of coaching people in money, finance, and business, I can honestly say I have seen these exact situations and outcomes time and time and time again. It's a snapshot of many people's lives. I wonder if it's a snapshot of yours. I want to refer you to the self-assessment tool that I've been sharing with you these past couple of weeks, and you can find this on Facebook or on our website. This is a tool where you get to go through and, and just circle the words that resonate with you or those that you find real struggle with, and it's, it's a, an assessment tool of which aspects of kingdom abundance you can connect with or not, what describes your world in the best way. But let's notice something on this tool and relate it to this text. Here are the things we see message circled in Haggai's message from God in verse 6. Each of these words describe what is being seen in the people of God. Survival, scarcity, lack, need, and poverty. And the reason God says is this. As you believe in your heart, so it shall be. What you believe is what you get. So again, you can go and find that tool later on to refer to, but what I would like to do is I'd like to read some scriptures. I'd like us to read some scriptures. So I'm going to read the first one on the screen, and then I'd like different volunteers to put their hand up, and we'll get you to read one of these scriptures for the church and those on the podcast to hear. Let me read firstly Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Paul writes this, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Who'd like to read Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 to 26? Great. Thanks, Sharon. You stand up and... uh, person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. Thanks. Great. Who wants to read the next one? 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. Phil Brown, thank you. Make sure you're preparing to volunteer for the next one. Someone on the other side of church, so Jamie gets a run around. This is a nice short one. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Thank you. Who's volunteering to read Luke chapter 6 and verse 38? 
Thanks, Doug. Oh, do you know it off by heart? Oh, there you go. You can read, Doug. You read the next one, Matthew chapter twelve, Luke six thirty-eight. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet, whether it shall be measured to you. Thank you. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 to 35. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings forth good things out of the good stored up in. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Thank you. And who would like to read Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 6? Thanks, Lindsay. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Thank you. What's the point at the outset? Why are we bringing the word of God in so many different ways? We see in the book of Haggai in this state of the church that the people of Israel were affected in their natural financial circumstances because of the position of their heart and their attitude towards the house of God. Each of these verses reinforce the principle of the kingdom of God, as you see on the screen, what ye sow, ye reap. It's a principle of the kingdom of God. What is it that we must learn as the church? What can we learn by looking at the people of Israel in the book of Haggai, and what can they teach us as we reflect on our own circumstances? Here's one observation I made as I looked at the failure to build. There comes a failure to invest in God's priorities, and it's not advantageous to us. I've also added a word on the screen that failure to invest in God's priorities is not profitable. When you have holes in your purse, money does not hang around. In financial coaching, I used to find people all the time that had more month than they had money holes in their purse. For those of you who are reading my book, Becoming Money Wise, and been messaging me during the week, I'm sure you'll find in the book that there's a reason why the bank balance gets to zero before the next paycheck arrives. It's a problem that's all too common. The second statement on the screen that I learned in observation by reading the story is that ignorance is not 
a valid excuse. It is not enough for us to say, I didn't know, so I didn't do. In verse 2, we read the position of the people. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says in Haggai 1 verse 2. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. That was their position, and we've already read the consequences of that position. God's very clear in verse 9. Why is all this happening? God says, because I blew everything away. Why? Because you have the wrong priorities. Why? Because you're building your house, God says, instead of building mine. It's very, very clear in the scriptures that this is God's core message to the church in the book of Haggai. So it might sound sharp to you, for those of you wriggling in your seat, feeling it's quite a pointed start today, I want to explain to you where we're going. I don't want you to be alarmed, I don't want you to be filled with negative thoughts, because one of the things that we must always, always, always hold on to as we read the Word of God is that we must read it from a position that God is a good Father who loves us. God does not come to condemn, even though He may come to convict. God does not come to punish and destroy. He always comes with an invitation for us to connect. God is love. That love outworks in grace in order that God could build community. God is a good God. He's a good Father. At this present age that we're in, God always comes to encourage people. He comes to invite them if they would respond to him when he says, come to me. And that's actually what this story is about, and I want to show you that today. Haggai is a prophet of the Lord who has been sent to encourage a discouraged people. We discover the reason they've stopped in their endeavors is because they've lost courage. Haggai brings a message of hope for the people. And today I want you to hear a message of hope from the same God. His purpose is always, always to lead us to kingdom abundance, His abundant goodness in our lives. And this leads me to my first key point. The Lord always leads us. He is before us. He is calling us. He's drawing us. One of the key things we need to write on our heart as an undeniable truth from the Word of God is that God is always near to us and He's always leading us. Look what he says in verse 13. I am with you. And God would say that to you today. For some of you, as I talk about finances and abundance and poverty and scarcity and God's riches and, and the assignment he's got for us, some of you are really challenged and you're, you're thinking, man, doesn't sound like God is with me. Well, I wanted to, at the very beginning, make sure that we pause and we understand that you have not missed the invitation of God. It's, it's right there for us. Your circumstances today are not the end of your story. God comes as a loving Father with an invitation. I always want to pause here. Let's everybody just stop and close our eyes. Because at the beginning, in order that we would not have any barriers to hear what God would say to us personally, it's my desire to pause and invite God to remind us that He's very near to us. 
God, would you come and encourage us with a message of hope to all those who need to hear it this morning? God, would you continually remind us we're never alone? There's always family around us. Don't be quiet, guys. Be noisy. Do what you've got to do. Do what you've got to do. You've got an assignment. Come on. Come on, kids. Rush in. Come on, kids. You've got a job to do. Do it well. Keep looking. Thank you. Keep coming. Put your hand up if you don't have one. Put your hand up so the kids can find you. There's plenty of people. Put your hand up. Keep your hand up if you haven't got a chocolate and you want a chocolate. Don't leave them for the kids. Their parents will thank you by taking it off them. You still got some to give away? Put your hand up if you want a chocolate. We've got some more chocolates in here. Some in the middle. Right on the, Keep your hand up high. Keep your hand up high. These poor kids are running around wanting to give away chocolate and you need to help them. Anyone else? Anyone else? Don't miss out. Okay, kids, you can take them back now. Maybe you've got more chocolate than people. Just throw them, Leah. There you go. And could you shut the door, Leah, please? That'd be great. Thank you. God would like to come and remind us that he loves us. God would like to come and remind us that we're a family. God would like to come and remind us that his goodness is always unexpected, but it's always good for us. I promised you at the beginning of the series that I would have giveaways every week. This is your piece of gold for you to invest wisely. Here's, here's where I want to land us. We've got to understand that God is a good father who comes with us to lead us, and he's always with us. God does not leave us alone, but he constantly reminds us, sometimes through children, that he is in our lives and he wants to bring his goodness. And here is why. This is a very, very important aspect for us to understand. We've got to understand why God is saying, come and build my temple. And this is it. One expert says, as I studied, when, when the Word of God is saying, build my temple, he says, building the temple is a genuine restoration of worship and service by the people. A genuine restoration and, of worship and service by the people. It's a very important aspect for us to grasp. If you have ever had a glimpse into heaven by reading the end of the story, you'll understand it's all about worship. It's all about offering ourselves in a service of worship to the God whom we are committed in adoration. The problem in the book of Haggai, in the season of the church that we're reading about, is that worship is not happening. It cannot happen. The people have lost it, and they've shifted their priorities, and it's messed up, and God is desiring to bring some correction. People have their priorities wrong, and there's no genuine worship. 
Let me, let me see if I can explain this a little bit more simply with a picture. Here's Johnny Christian. Now, he represents a person living in the city of Jerusalem, but he could also quite easily represent us, modern-day believers of Jesus Christ. So what are we seeing in the book of Haggai, or maybe if we reflect, what are we seeing in the church today? What we read in the text is that there's a false belief. The people got it wrong. What that led them to, the false belief led them to having the wrong priorities. They completely missed the priorities that God had designed for them to live with kingdom living and therefore kingdom abundance. And what we read in the scriptures is the Lord saying, you have not got financial resources because of your wrong priorities. So it's the wrong priorities that lead them to financial lack. They're messed up on the inside, therefore they're messed up on the outside when it comes to their finances. The people said, as a false belief, they said, it's not time to build the house of the Lord. Their wrong priorities are clear to us when God says, actually, you, sh- you build your house instead of building mine. And as a result, we see holes in pockets. I hope this isn't too sharp. I hope this isn't too uncomfortable. But we need to zero in on this, especially if this is describing your world. The reason that this is so vital is that this actually has serious ramifications for our relationship with God. Johnny Christian would like to demonstrate what that means. In the same way that people in Haggai had false belief, many people base their lives on false truth. That means they're living their lives, they're making decisions on their priority system on something that is the opposite of truth. And in my world, I call that a diversion or a distraction sent by the enemy to take us away from the things of God, and it looks like a lie. When you build your financial world on lies, you end up with something that's not God's design. What we also see in a spiritual context is the people in the book of Haggai with wrong priorities were building their own fine homes. They were building their ivory towers. They were building treasures on earth instead of focusing on what God was saying. Treasures on earth is not God's plan. But hear me carefully when I say this. Even those people who choose to build their reality around the concept of poverty and sufficiency are often guilty of building their humility into a false idol. So perhaps the false idol is the issue, not the outcome. The result of all of this, says God, is spiritual poverty. What do I mean by that? Spiritual poverty is simply not living in God's best. It's not experiencing the fullness of life that He's offering to us. It's not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus Christ said He came to earth to purchase for all of those who would make Him their Lord and Savior. Spiritual poverty is not God's hope for us, but quite often it ends up being our reality. And so God comes with an invitation and God says, hey, build my temple. It's a message in the book of Haggai 
and it's a message to the church today. God desires a genuine restoration of worship and service by the people. And we must understand today why this is so vital for us as a church family. The reason it's so vital for us is that we are the temple of God. We must not miss this. If I could have some more volunteers, three scriptures to remind us. Who would like to volunteer to read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21? Thanks, Nadia. Someone else prepare to read from 1 Corinthians 3. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do... Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Sorry. Ephesians 2. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Thank you very much. Who would like to read from 1 Corinthians 3? Up the back, Shirley. Oh, Marge, why don't you read the next one? Thanks. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think he is wise by the standards of this age... Oh, hold on. Wrong one. Yeah, do not know, do you, don't you know that you, you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will, will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Thank you very much. Marge, you volunteered. First Peter 2 verse 5. You also, the living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Thank you. The Word of God says, the Bible teaches us that we as individuals are a temple, a dwelling place, a place of worship for God, and that together as stones, each one of us a temple of God, are constructed into the house of God, the house of worship, where God will dwell together. This truth is paramount for us as a church family that each one of us contribute locking together in order to be the house of God. We come together as one. We're unified in faith. We become the dwelling place of God himself where the richness of God is experienced by many, many people. That should give you a sense of excitement. But there's even more good news in this story. You want to hear the good news in the book of Haggai? Do you want to hear the story and how we see that God always brings a turnaround? Are you sure you want to listen to it? Okay. You asked for it. Let's look. Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, and Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. 
Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant, all of God's people. And they began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies, on September of the second year of King Darius's reign. This is a good thing. This is fantastic. We see the people respond. What is happening here? Well, the key we've got to understand is repentance and obedience are always the best response when God comes to lead us to a place of genuine worship. Repentance is our response. We turn from wrong priorities and we look to align ourselves with God's way of living. Obedience means doing what God ask you to do. It's always the best response. I want you to note verse 14, catalyst for the turnaround in the whole story. This is the key. It might be the key for you. The Lord sparked the enthusiasm of the governor. Do you know what that means? Traditional translation says, the Lord stirred the spirit of the governor of the city. Imagine God comes and stirs the heart of the civic leaders of our city and our nation. It says the Lord stirred the spirit of the high priest. Imagine if God came and stirred the spirit of the church. The church leaders got excited. Imagine that. But then it says God came and stirred the spirit of all the people, and they responded. Imagine if God would come and bring the fire that we sing about and set us alight with his purposes for building his place of worship. And that place of worship is us. Well, it's it's exciting for me. But the good news is it gets even better. You want to know how it gets even better? No. Do you want to know how it gets even better? Are you sure you want to know that it gets even better? Okay. We've got to look at this. What we're going to see is God's promise is that he will always bring reassurance. Would you like to know what the reassurance looks like? Would you like to know how you can experience God's reassurance in your life every day of the week? You want to know? Let's look at the scripture. Let's have a look. Because God's promise is he'll bring us reassurance and human helplessness is God's opportunity to bring us abundance. Let's see what he does for the people in Jerusalem. Let's have a look at verse 4 of Haggai chapter 2. But now, the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel, be strong, Yeshua, be strong, all you people still left in the land, and now get to work. For I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. God's presence is with us. Let's look at verse 6. What does verse 6 say? For this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth and the oceans and the dry land. I'm going to shake the planet. God's power is always around us. What does it say in verse 7? I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord. Imagine if God's glory was upon us. Come on. This is the reassurance God gives us. What about verse 9? 
The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. That's a big statement considering what Solomon built. But he's talking about us. The future glory will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. God's promise is that his peace will be with us. When God gives us his promise and he says, I am with you, it's actually what he means. I'll be with you. And we can experience the manifest presence of God. Imagine actually being able to feel like God was with you. That's what he's saying, and that should be your expectation. We can experience God's power in our lives every single day. We should be looking for more miracles because God is with us and his power is around us. We can see and experience and carry his glory in order that we would stand out from the crowd, have extra favor in front of men and women of influence, that we would be promoted in a way because we're different, because we carry the presence of God. Don't forget what Moses was like after he had been in the presence of God. This is our expectation. And we carry the peace of God, which is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, our King. He's with us every single day. This is a good message. This is a good thing. Can we please get a little bit excited about what God wants to do in us and through us for the sake of our town? When we come together and we build the temple of God as the people of God, we are that temple. And God has these promises for us, and we should be excited about that. We should be. So let me try and land this. Let me think about how we could do that. We've got to understand we've got a part to play. As I said before, repentance and obedience are the best response that we could have. And this is what we know. And I've shared this with you many, many, many times. And I'm going to keep saying it until you get it. I'm going to keep saying until you live it. I'm going to make sure that you know and know and you know that God's favor is on the other side of our obedience. Every single time I teach this from any part of the Bible, it's always the same message that we see. God's favor, his goodness, the abundance of his character, his power and his love and his glory and his peace is all around us. It's on the other side of our obedience. The reason I repeat it so often is because we've got to live it. We've got to expect to live in his favor, but the cost of that, the price you've got to pay is obedience. Now let's put this in context of finance. In the series called Kingdom Abundance, the area of biblical financial teaching, which has been my desire to be obedient to God this month, we've got to narrow our focus and get the key point. And here it is. This becomes a statement we've got to live by. Only when lordship in our lives is settled will we accept his vision and see his abundance. I will post that online for you. Take a photo of it if you need it this afternoon. But only, only when lordship in our lives is settled will we accept his vision and see his kingdom abundance. I talked about this in the first week. If you weren't here, go and grab the podcast. This is the discipline that we need. If we're disciples, we should be disciplined. This is the discipline we need to seek. We need to be asking the right questions. Is God Lord of my money? Go home and ask that question. And then look at your bank statements and see what answer you get. 
Is God Lord of my money? Is what he says the most important aspect of my money management? Do we as a family choose to put the priorities of God first? And how is that demonstrated? Every single one of us has to face this opportunity and answer these questions. It's my desire that each one of us would seek the leading of God. We've got to come together and ask for God's leadership in our homes, that he would lead us in the way that's right for us, for our circumstances, for our stage, for our family. I urge you to put his priorities first. But I also said this in the first week. When you get a vision, when you get a glimpse, even a glimpse, a glimpse of the vision that God's got for your life, lordship is easy. Lordship is really easy. When God shows you the future and you get excited, lordship is not a problem. So let's close by looking at the end of the story in the book of Haggai. The Lord says to every single one of us, consider thy ways. In verse 18 of Haggai chapter 2, he says it again for the fifth time in this short book. Consider thy ways. And then he says, verse 19, the Lord says, I am giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, your fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But, says the Lord, from this day on, I will bless you. Let me pray. God, we invite you to lead us. As a family, would you lead us to be constructed in a way that builds a temple that will host your glorious presence? Lord, I ask that you'd give us the boldness and the strength to submit our will to yours, to find the answer to those questions that would mean that you are truly the Lord of our lives and the Lord of our finances. God, we surrender our motives, we surrender our agenda, and even, in fact, we surrender our dreams. Give us a vision of a glorious house that hosts God in this town. And show us, would you please show us, how we are called to service it. Amen. Wasn't that